Great news. Major League Baseball is back. The college baseball season continues to electrify. And with the help of our friends over at SeatGeek, we can get you out to whatever game you want to see. All you need to do is head over to SeatGeek, find your game you want to go to, and enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to get $20 off your first purchase. Maybe you want to go see some NBA or NHL playoffs. I don't know. Maybe you want to go to a concert with the weather warming up throughout the country. No matter what event you're looking to go to, our friends at SeatGeek can hook you up with the best deals. Great seats at an affordable price. You can't beat it. Make sure to enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL for $20 off. That's SeatGeek.com, promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL. Welcome back to episode 99. We're getting really close to that 100, that century mark of the Backside Ground Balls podcast. Super excited to be here on the pod. I am riding solo in terms of Dan and Phoebe, but we have a super special guest. Our first two-time guest here. We have Peter Flaherty back on the podcast to talk all things from college baseball, draft, and then obviously some Cape Cod coverage because he's up there dominating the Cape. For anybody who follows Peter on Twitter, they know it's absolute content all the time, and and he's doing a great job with that. So, Peter, thank you for joining in. I I, I think you're starting to step up on Dan's toes a little bit. <laughs> I appreciate you guys having me back on. I'm honored to be the uh, the first two-time guest. Well, when you when you provide as good of content as you do when you come on here and, and as good of a conversation, it's hard not to take advantage of any opportunity we can uh, we can get on here and connect. And, and that's what that's the value you bring. And we appreciate that for I know I know our listeners appreciate that as well. Oh, man. Well, I really appreciate it. trying to try my best. Yeah, well, um, obviously a lot's happened since we last talked. I mean, the last time we talked was pre-conference tournament weekend, I believe. We were obviously getting close to the to the regionals, um, but you were out in Omaha. You were obviously covering the College World Series, and i just love to know your thoughts. Obviously, we're a couple weeks away from it now. We're now in the midpoint of July, but obviously LSU is our national champion, and, and you were out there to see it, and all the games were great up until the last two there, so what were your thoughts on on how Omaha went and, and your experiences out there which I believe was your first time I remember you telling me yeah so it was my first time I was super lucky to be out there I mean it was a, a truly a once in a lifetime type of experience between the the quality of the games the talent on all eight teams I mean it was it was loaded and and the games lived up to the hype ironically enough as you mentioned until the last two but that week LSU game with louder skeins that was that was probably the best game I'm going to see for a while. Um, getting getting to see those two guys face off in person, the quality of pitching, and just the crispness of play. Um, and then Omaha in general, it was it was it blew me away. I had high expectations going in, but um, it, it exceeded those between the fans and again the games and the players. It was it should be on it should be on the top of every baseball fan's bucket list. Yeah, I agree. Dan and I were talking, uh, I believe, this weekend, and, and our ultimate goal for the podcast is to to feel like we're in a good enough position to make that trip worth it next year, um, even if it would just be just for our own personal 
uh, desires, but that's what we're hoping. I get married June 15th. I can't mess up that date on a recorded platform. So June 15th, (laughs) and then we'll be, we're hoping to be flying out the shortly after that to, to come out to Omaha. Uh, so that'll be, that's something that we're trying to plan, but you can tell our chemistry is getting a little better on here. Peter, you absolutely parlayed me right into one of those topics and talking about wake and LSU and, Wake made a huge splash in the transfer portal. Uh, it's not exactly something I initially thought we were going to talk about this summer, and it's something that when Chase Burns entered the portal, we had Ben McKee, who covers Tennessee baseball for Go Vols 247, who does a great job. And, you know, we had kind of talked there off air, and, and he said TCU was kind of seemed like the, the team that kind of motivated him to enter the portal. But as it kind of went later and later, Dan and I had talked there off air and said, why not Wake Forest, right? You have the pitching lab, you have Coach Muscara, you have what they've done with the, I think, five pitchers were drafted this year alone with a couple of those making a signing for a couple million there uh, between Louder Sullivan and then Keener signed for a little bit less. And Chase Burns makes the leap. He's coming to Winsome-Salem, North Carolina, and that's a huge pickup for the Demon Deacons. I mean, to replace Rhett Louder, Sean Sullivan, and Seth Keener with the guy who as of now, is probably at the top of a lot of MLB organizations' draft wishes and, and the number one arm across the country. What are your initial thoughts when when you were kind of, I'm sure you were sitting behind the scenes and hearing some rumblings there, what was your initial thoughts about the, the Demon Deacons being able to pick up Chase Burns? It was huge. I mean, I was hearing the same thing as you guys were on the TCU front. Um, like everything that I was hearing from people was that it was – kind of leaning towards heavily leaning towards TCU. Um, that's where he's probably going to end up. And then at the, again, like really on the day that he committed to Wake Forest and the hours leading up to it was the first time I had ever heard anything of the Deeks kind of, no pun intended, throwing their hat into the Chase Burn sweepstakes. But, I mean, that's a massive pickup. I mean, with him and Hartle anchoring that rotation, maybe Michael Massey making a jump, they again are going to be one of, if not the best uh, rotations in all of college baseball. And with him, you get – the potential top 10 overall draft pick in 24. We all know the fastball up to 102, the premium velocity he has, but he supplements that with a really good slider, a pitch that I think grades out as plus, borderline double plus, and his changeup is coming along as well. So, I mean, you get a a big-time game changer to add into your program, and I think he's going to serve them really well. And then, obviously, Chase Burns presently is is damn good, but you, as you mentioned, you throw him in that pitching lab and the developmental aspect of – of that and coach Muscara and the, the extremely talented staff they have. And that's a, that is a dangerous combination for the rest of college baseball. Yeah, I agree. And, and as you were talking there, my brain went a couple different ways. Um, first off him and Michael Massey, I think there might not be two kids in across the country that have one, two punches in their fastball off speed mix that those two dudes have. And imagine that that could be Saturday, Sunday, cause Josh Hartle's a really good pitcher already. Um, so that is a nightmare for the ACC and having to face off. I mean, you think you're going to get some knocks on Sunday there and, and you got Michael Massey coming out with his premium stuff. And, and obviously coach Muscar is where my brain goes. I know he was in the mix for the Penn state job, which I'm sure, um, kind of disappointed a lot of Penn State faithful there because he's he's obviously a stud and he's he's done a phenomenal job there but he sticks around and you see what he's built and coach Anderson at Tennessee has prided himself on development I mean you see what he did with Chase Dolan or you seen what he does with Drew Beam and all these guys that are now playing professional baseball and you don't exactly think there's many places across the country that might develop pitchers better than coach Anderson at Tennessee 
Coach Miscar is probably the only one who makes a legitimate argument and combining that with the pitching labs. Do you think there is more that you can get out of Chase Burns or is it just more of a change of scenery that we're going to see the Chase Burns of freshman year that was dominant in stretches that the stuff's there. What are you really going to change? It's really just getting them in a good headspace to go out there and compete. Or do you think there's something they could tap into on top of that? Yeah, it's a great question because we've seen how, how, outstanding wake is at developing all these guys from louder to Hartle to Massey, everyone in between, they haven't really had a guy come to campus via the portal or even just out of their recruiting class that is as talented as Chase Burns is right now um, to begin with. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do. I know that they're, you know, like, like everyone should be prioritizing their big on body control and kind of understanding how your body works and maximizing what you can do with your body and mobility um, so I'm sure that they're going to they're going to unlock some stuff with Chase Burns, um, whether that be the development of a third pitch again, just kind of refining command um, <clears throat> or whatever it is. Um, there's I, I mean, there's no one better to work with um, in terms of all of that kind of the, the pitching mobility, the the body movement parts um, and kind of understanding pitching in general than Wake Forest. I think that they're probably going to try and get him to throw his change up more, um, especially if they're going to use him in the rotation. It's, it'll be a little difficult to be a fastball slider guy for as good as that combination is with Burns. But um, yeah, I mean, I'd say the the development of a third pitch is going to be the, the biggest key for him. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because when you look at where coach Muscar's probably hung his hat on, at least in his time at Wake Forest, it's the development of velocity, um, being able to take guys, uh, like Rhett Louder. I mean, we've heard it so many times he was what 75 to 77 as a junior or whatever it was. And they really took a shot on him and developed him into a first round draft pick that just signed for a couple million. Um, and, you don't necessarily say that when you talk about Chase Burns, right? You're probably talking about pitch usage, some confidence, I'm sure, which I know a lot of those arms at Wake Forest have talked a lot about Coach Muscar's ability to put them in a good mental state um, and the ability to kind of stay calm and, and just not ride the roller coaster. Um, at least that's from what what I've heard, um, not necessarily any concrete evidence behind that, but you kind of hear the way their pitching staff talks. And it's definitely he definitely cares about the mental side of things, which I think is going to be a huge help for Chase Burns. And, and let's go to the Chase Burns side, too. Um, I do want to hear your thoughts on it. We obviously we have Wake Forest fans, but we have Tennessee fans right now that, that listen to the podcast from from our episode with Ben McKee. And what were your initial thoughts when you I think it was kind of in motion before you know, obviously what we saw him do in relief against Clemson, what he did in relief against Stanford, which was phenomenal to see. And you thought there was a shot that he might stick around at Tennessee, but I know there was a lot of whispers behind the scenes that he was going to enter. What were your kind of initial thoughts when, whether you heard those whispers and then the next step of when he did enter the portal, what was your kind of initial reaction for, for where his head might've been at? Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. And seeing him pitch against Stanford um, in the College World Series, that was, gosh, that was maybe the best I've ever seen him look, Chase on the mound and with those six shutout innings of relief with only allowing, I think it was two singles. But um, I was a little surprised. I think any time that a high-profile name like Chase Burns or, or any potential day one draft pick enters the portal, there's obviously going to be a little bit of surprise um, just because you, you see the prospect status and especially coming from a quality program like Tennessee, um, you know, there's, there's obviously some surprise, but at the end of the day, I think that 
with with players entering the portal and and all of that, they're trying to do what's best for their future and and trying to navigate, you know, the many challenges that come with being a college athlete. So um, I don't really like to speculate a ton on the reasoning as to why he entered, but um, I like to think that it was the decision was made on Chase's end with with his future in mind and, and trying to do what's best for him. And so I can't knock him for that, but. Um, Tennessee will be in a great place for a long time, so long as Coach Vitello and his and his staff are there. So they've they've reloaded themselves. Yeah, I think there's, in my opinion, when he entered the portal, I said, "Where are you going to find a better situation than Tennessee? They're going to have a first round draft pick. They develop as good as anybody, and there's probably one team I would say you would end up in a better situation, and it's Wake Forest." So. I mean, at least in my perspective, my honest opinion, I have no problem admitting this. I think Wake Forest is, is just that tick of a step up from there. But obviously, Chase Burns made a, a lot of noise when he was in Omaha pitching against Stanford. And, and a big name, probably the biggest fish in the sea um, in the portal available right now is Braden Montgomery. He's a legit two-way talent. Last year, he hit 336 with 17 bombs after hitting 294 with 18 homers as a freshman. A little bit of struggle on the mound. I'd love to know your thoughts on that initially if you think it is a legit two-way impact guy for another team, but he enters the portal. It was a surprise to some people. Again, I think that it's kind of the same thing as the Tennessee situation. How many places are better than Stanford? What could really be the step up in terms of development, in terms of draft opportunity, in terms of financial advantages that come from that that future value in a draft? But obviously, Braden Montgomery thinks there might be, you know, the grass might be greener on another side. So what were your kind of thoughts when you heard that that name was entering the portal? And, and obviously, it came late in the portal window so it wasn't something that was sent in stone right when it opened yeah again i i I'm pretty surprised as i was with with chase um but again similar to to burns scenario um don't really want to like assume or speculate why just kind of have faith in Braden because i know he's an outstanding human being um kind of have faith that the decision was made with with his best interests at heart and um trying to find the best spot for him and his future so I think that's what the decision was based on. And I know he hasn't ruled out returning to Stanford. So, and he's going to kind of see what's out there and, and see what's available and then make his ultimate final decision. Yeah, this is a guy that, from what I heard, got a 34 on his ACT. So he's not struggling in terms of uh, brain cells and, and brain function. So he definitely, it's it's a well-thought-out decision. It's not something he just went off on a whim here. But do you think that, obviously, he did pitch a little bit for Stanford this year, um, a little bit more in shorter outings. Do you think this is a legit two-way talent that somebody could pick up on and, and use in a Jack Caglione way where he's pitching one day um, and then hitting in the middle of the order on another? Yeah, the talent with the arm talent with Montgomery is outstanding. Um, it's more of an arm strength type talent from right field. I, it's an easy seventy grade type arm, borderline eight. Um, I think his future ultimately is just as a position player only. Um, he's more of a thrower than a pitcher at this point, which isn't a bad thing. Um, he does have premium velocity up to ninety eight, ninety nine or so. But um, again, I think that he he serves a team best as their everyday right fielder. Um, where he's a good athlete, he moves well. The arm strength, obviously, is going to allow him to stick at the position, hits for power um, from both sides of the plate. Um, so I think that there's there's big-time top half of the first-round type upside with Montgomery is just, just as a position player alone. Yeah, definitely. That two-way thing, we get so caught up in the next Otani. I think people forget how hard and how much of a unicorn you have to be to even do it 
at the college level, right? These guys are as talented as any. Um, and that's not to fluff myself because I did do the two-way thing below average in college. <laughs> but um, <laughs> these guys that do it at the higher levels, I mean, it's it's tough. It's a grind. And, and we take it for granted what even what Shohei Otani does doing it at the highest level. But are there any thoughts on where he might be heading? I know I, I read somewhere that it was – West of Baton Rouge, which everybody who hits the portal right now is everybody thinks he's going to LSU for NIL and, and all the stuff like that, because that's what they've obviously made a living on winning a national championship, grabbing guys like Tommy White and Paul Skeens. Do you have any inklings on where he might be heading, where it might be a better situation for him? You know, I honestly haven't heard much. Um, I've heard, obviously, the possibility of him returning to Stanford, him being a Mississippi kid. I've heard Mississippi State thrown around, um, but nothing at this point that I've, I've heard like legit smoke around. So I'll have to do some digging, but I mean, one way or the other, he's going to have to decide soon um, with college classes starting within, you know, a month or so. So he'll have to decide at some point soon, but I will, um, I'll have to do some digging on that front because I haven't, I haven't really heard anything or, or primary destination, at least to this point. Yeah, it's quiet on that end. That's that's a good way to handle it. It seems like, you know, as long as he keeps his options open, he's going to be a, a pretty successful guy wherever he ends up next year. So as we transition here, obviously what the big news coming out of last week during the All-Star break was the, the MLB draft. And for anybody that doesn't follow Peter on Twitter, 100% you should be um, because he absolutely <laughs> dominates the content. But most importantly, the most impressive thing that you've ever done I've seen is finding video and tweeting every pick out for guys that were drafted. So walk me through, because this is more my personal preference of trying to understand how much work comes into play when you do that and how hard it was. Did you have a spreadsheet up and you were throwing tweets out? You're finding videos. How does that process work? Because I don't, I don't know when you ended up stopping. If you went all 20 rounds, credit to you. Um, but that was super cool to, to kind of, cause it was all over my feed. Cause obviously I like your tweets and, and you know, the algorithms get me on it. So I'm getting updates with video of every guy drafted and I'm basically in heaven. <laughs> yeah, so it was the first night I actually like I was covering a Cape game before it. So I went from looking at guys on the Cape to then kind of rushing home, doing a little bit on the road, but rushing home for the draft. And honestly, I'm really lucky that so many of the colleagues at BA have video of these guys and in our database we have video of these guys, so it was it was rather easy to pull from. Um, and so I did everyone on day one. That was my goal was to do everybody on day one. And then from day two onward, kind of guys that I thought were notable and then the guys that I liked. So I kind of touched on the Homer Bushes, the Cam Fishers, Tommy Hawk, and then a little bit on day three, even like trying to put people on a sleeper names like Cray Lott from the Orioles, who I think is a good player, Ryan Galaney at Wofford, uh, Jared Dickey from, from Tennessee, guys like that. So um, Carter Trice, another one. So Really, everyone on day one I wanted to get done, and I think I ended up with a little less than I wanted to, like 105 of the 600 players covered. So next year I want to get to, I want to get to like 150, maybe, maybe 200. But it, it was it was really hard keeping up in real time, especially on the in the later part of day one because stuff really started to move fast after the first round. So it was like trying to find the video and then trying to word a tweet in a coherent way that is like kind of gives people a taste of what this player is like and, and what he brings to the table. So um, it was a challenge, but it was a, it was a really fun one. 
Yeah, you did. I mean, you did a great job doing it because I, like I said, I was keeping track and, and following along. And every time I, you know, I found out a lot of draft picks from you, um, quite frankly, <laughs> once, it, especially day two, I was like, Ooh, look at that. That guy is with that team and, and that fires me up. So obviously the name, you know, you, you got to watch a lot of college guys this year, which is super fun. You got to watch Paul Skeens, what, twice in person in Omaha. And obviously that's kind of the age old debate we're in right now. We see the, the, pitchers that are having injuries and especially how you factor that into your decision and Paul Skeens ended up going number one to the Pittsburgh Pirates and what were your thoughts on taking a pitcher number one taking a pitcher that high and why Paul Skeens might be different than your typical you know ace level pitcher that you're getting at the top of the draft yeah I mean I there there's risk associated with pitchers at uh, certainly first overall pitchers in the first round, there'll always be that risk. But I think that Paul Skeens is, is a unicorn in, in so many ways. You obviously look at the, the, the ability, the natural ability, and it's, I mean, he's up to 103 kind of looks like he's playing catch doing it two double plus secondaries and a slider and a change up. He's a high mileage, durable arm. He's the very definition of a workhorse. I think that Again, even even taking that risk into account, the nine innings on the mound are going to have to come from someone and somewhere, and I think that there's no one better to bet on than Paul Skeens to be your future ace and kind of the face of your organization and maybe the maybe the face of baseball, even even looking three to five years down the road. But I think another thing that sets Paul apart from these other players and other pitchers is that makeup. And I think that part of that comes from just who he is and, and also comes from his time at the air force Academy, that discipline, self-motivation um, and, and overall mental toughness. You see him on the mound and uh, under the brightest lights and on the biggest stages in Omaha at, at Alex box stadium. And he is completely unfazed. I mean, his blinders on and he is, he is locked in. So, I mean, the intangibles just kind of set him apart, I think, from everyone else in the draft. And I think that's what maybe set, maybe put him over the edge for Pittsburgh as opposed to someone else in the draft. So, um, again, there's obviously risk involved with pitchers, but we're not going to see another Paul Skeens for a very long time, maybe ever. Yeah, it's such an interesting kind of conundrum you could almost say for the team drafting at the top obviously Dylan Cruz had an absurd ask that for the Pirates weren't comfortable going with Um, and then that opens up the avenue to go to Paul Skeens to Wyatt Langford even a Max Clark and and some of those names that were being tossed around at the top spot and I would just like to know like what would be the boxes like let's just say hypothetically I know you're on the fast track to do this one day but you're drafting for the Pittsburgh Pirates and what are the boxes that Paul Skeens or any pitcher quite frankly would have to check to make you comfortable because I think of the mileage right on his arm. He did not pitch since he's 11 years old. Like that pays dividends in the long run. The free and easy and athleticism that he displays are some of the boxes that I would need to check to feel comfortable doing that. What are some other things that maybe you would have to think about in that scenario to see to be comfortable investing that kind of uh, capital in uh, arm at the top of the draft? Yeah, I mean, I think in Pittsburgh's case, when looking at Paul Skeens and weighing him against some of the other options they might have had, especially with him being a pitcher and kind of circling back to your question of the boxes he had to check, I think, one, it's it's a guy that has upside in the future to win multiple Cy Youngs to kind of be the pitcher, the face of the pitching side in Major League Baseball. Um, he has that type of upside. And then, obviously, you look at him as a person and in the physical traits. He's 6'6", 235. 
really durable frame. You look at him on the mound, there's very little effort to his delivery. Commands all three of his offerings really, really well. All three are, again, as, as I mentioned, I think double-plus offerings. And then, again, circling back to maybe what sets him apart from a Dylan Cruz, a Max Clark, or a Wyatt Langford. Um, on the mental side of things, you have that Air Force Academy experience um, and that discipline as a human being. So I think that he checked every box, and he even checked some boxes off himself that that really don't exist with any other prospect. So I think that he is he is one one in, in more ways than than just being picked first overall. He is a very unique player, obviously with his talent, and then again on the the human being side of things, he is he is one of one. Yeah, so obviously that's that's kind of been what you hear a lot about him. And even when he talks to, you know, when he does media row or anything like that, he, he comes off as a very humble but confident kind of guy and, and size checks out and all those things like that, which is obviously important. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but Dan and I were down in South Carolina when for the Friday night and Saturday night game when LSU was there. And we ended up just booking a hotel. Next thing you know, we're in LSU's hotel room and, or hotel uh that they're staying in. And so we're waiting for the elevator and this was the day of the rain delay. So he was the only game that they didn't win that he started this year, I believe, unless there was another one. And we're sitting there waiting for the elevator and round the corner, here comes Paul Skeens. We're just sitting in the elevator with Paul Skeens. Like, and he's, he's massive. Let's just put it that way. Like the, the size and, and everything checks out and it was super kind of cool. Cause these guys, obviously like you see him on TV and you're like, he's big. And then like me being the average Italian American that I am, I'm, you know, standing a good, good five foot eight. And I look up at this dude and I'm like, this dude is huge. And it, it's super impressive to see how physically gifted these guys are that, that play at that level. So what were your thoughts on the rest of the top five? Obviously it pretty much, it's probably the first time in recent memory that it's kind of gone chalk, right? At least in terms of the top five guys went in the top five. It was probably the first time I can remember of recent memory that there wasn't any really big deal under slots that kind of slipped in there where teams could manipulate their pool differently. What were your kind of thoughts and, and what are some fits that you might like for, for each of those guys that you think, uh, you know, those teams have to be fired. I mean, I, I said like the twins at five had to, you know, even when the draft unfolded, they're probably like, we're fired up with any of the five guys that we get, um, being able to, to obviously be in that position. So what were your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I think that the, the top five, I mean, we talked a little bit in May even about it, but the top five was pretty set for a while with Skeens, Cruz, Clark, Langford, and Jenkins. It was just going to come down to to what order in which they were selected. And I think that this top five has a chance to be one of the best that we see in a while in terms of how they pan out. I think that you're looking at five big leaguers and five impact big leaguers. And I think that all five of these franchises are getting players that are going to mightily help out um, their big league clubs in the future, perhaps sooner rather than later, especially with the college guys, Cruz, Langford, and Skeens. Those are those are players you can kind of push up pretty quick, um, given just you know how how pro ready they already are and the talent. So I think even with the high school guys, Max Clark, it's five tool upside. Uh, Walker Jenkins, Walker Jenkins, similarly big physical kid, um, real power upside and potential twenty five to 30, 30 home run type of guy. Um, with an advanced hit tool. So I think that all five of these guys are, are bringing a lot to the table for these franchises. 
Yeah, I'd completely agree with that. And I was like, like I said, I mean, I'm sure all those teams when the when the lottery came out, obviously, we've talked about the Oakland Athletics were probably kicking themselves for not, you know, the first year of the lottery, they don't end up in the top five when it's probably the best top five you're going to get in, in, a, in a lot of years. But um, obviously, as we kind of progress through the draft, you know, we ended up having 20 rounds and a ton of dudes drafted. I would love to know just your opinion. I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but um, who are some guys that you think could outperform where they were drafted specifically, whether it be organizationally fit. Like I could think of a couple dudes with certain organizations that I think would are really going to help them in their development or just guys that you think never got the, the true limelight that they really deserved rightfully. So, and, and kind of ended up falling in the draft where you think they're a lot more talented. Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's hard to, for day one guys to kind of say that a lot of them were underrated or disrespected. But one guy I kind of have circled is Kevin McGonigal who went um, 37th, I believe to the Tigers um, talking to some scouts and, and even personally, there's an argument to be made that he is the best pure hit tool of any high school hitter in the country. That's including guys like Max Clark and Walker Jenkins um, probably a second baseman at the next level. But I mean, this dude is an auto barrel. Uh, the, the, the field of hit is off the charts He's a gritty Northeast kid, baseball rat. Um, I think he's got a, a chance to be an impact big leaguer. There's sneaky power there. Um, I feel really good about him. Um, the makeup is outstanding. He's a mature kid. Um, he's he's one that I've got circled and I'm very confident in. And then kind of looking elsewhere, it's 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 hard to say. Um, I like Maui Ahuna. The value that the the Giants got in the fourth round with a with a player like Maui is is um, really intriguing and enticing. Um, Jake Bloss in the third round of the Astros at ninety nine is interesting. Um, uh, those are a couple of guys that I really like. And Sabine Ceballos, ninety fourth to the Braves. All I've heard about this kid is um, glowing reviews on the bat and how he's going to hit his way to the big league. So. Um, we could go on and on about guys that, that I'm, that I like a lot. And I think that are going to make it to the show, but, um, those are a few early on that I was, that I'm in, that I'm particularly excited to watch progress. Oh, and, and Teddy McGraw is another one at 92. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention him from wake had Tommy John, unfortunately twice. Um, so it's a little bit of a scary track record, which caused him to slide. But I mean, he was up to 101 in the fall with a plus slider. So He's got as much upside as as really any of these arms in the draft, or, or some of the some of the biggest upside of any arm in the draft. So he's got a chance to pan out to be a front of the rotation type of pitcher for Seattle. Yeah, it, it's funny you say Kevin McGonigal. When I was out recruiting uh, the northeast part of the country, I would I would pass Kevin McGonigal's tracks a lot. And when you say auto barrel, like playing just your typical like not WWBA deep in the tournaments or at PG national or anything like you're talking about just like diamond nation on a Wednesday. Like it was just like cheat code level. Like this kid is just unbelievable. So being able to, to get like eyes on him on a consistent basis. I mean, this was multiple times throughout the summer. It was super impressive to see. And you're just like, you know, there's certain kids like you see a lot of division one commits across the country. And there's certain kids that you're like, I see the tools. I see the upside. I see the skill. And then there's like those, those one off kids who you're like, Oh, that's different. Like there, there's a level to this and that's an athleticism. That's a skill set that just is absolutely different. So I love Kevin McGonigal. I love the the link with the Tigers there. I think he's going to obviously be, be a stud at the next level. So let's transition. Obviously the Tigers got two pretty good players at the top there between Max Clark and 
Kevin McGonigal, who are some other teams that stood out to you? I know we probably don't have it fresh in your mind of like a full draft. We don't need 20 picks, but maybe like one or two guys who an organization got that you're like, man, the fact that they walked away from day one with those three guys or even day two with those five guys, who were some organizations that stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, I think sticking with the high school side of things, I think the Padres and Dylan Head, um, that's a really good pick for the Padres, elite-level athlete, kind of a line-drive-type swing and line-drive-oriented approach at the plate. Hit to all fields. He's a great defender in, in center where he's going to stick. Double-plus runner. The athleticism really stands out. Um, I like him a lot. And then the Mariners coming away with three high-end prep guys in Colt Emerson, again, similar to McGonigal. Really mature hitter, a really advanced high school product, um, Ty Pete and Johnny Farmello. Um, in addition to Emerson, those are, I mean, those are three really good players. And Pete is, uh, again, really good athlete at 6'3". He's got some room to add some impact. Thunderous type of bat speed, got into his power a lot this spring. And then between looking at him as an athlete and his plus throwing arm, I mean, he could even hold down center field if they choose, but I know he's been playing at shortstop. Um, in high school he's a he's got a super super high ceiling so the Mariners and the Padres I like a lot Um, Waldrop and the Braves again I know there's some risk with reliever risk maybe with Waldrop but again it's uh, including Paul Skeens he has as high as high a ceiling as as any arm in this draft with the fastball up to 101 and then the three plus breaking balls with his curveball the slider being a 70 grade one and then that split change also grading out as I think is 70 and maybe the best pitch of its kind in the draft. That's you're getting ace upside there with Waldrop. So um, those those were some picks I was particularly honed in on. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, it's funny because every time I think of Waldrop with the Braves, I always think of Bobby Miller when he was drafted by the Dodgers. Like, yeah, there was a little bit of reliever risk there, but do you think the Dodgers? I mean, again, you have to trust your player development, but you think the Dodgers regret taking that risk, even if he becomes, you know, whatever else he could become at that point in the draft? And and Waldrop reminds me, like, how many times do you do do you identify a guy who has four pitches like that? It's, it's not not very rare to be sitting at twenty four and and get a guy and you just hope you're one pitching coach away from from honing that guy in to to be getting his his stuff over the plate and getting competitive swings and misses and and that's a that's a guy that I mean we've seen it with the Braves they're they're an absolute factory right now that you could just imagine that whatever they do you you can kind of trust it there and that brings me to I you know I wanted to ask you this question as we were sitting here talking is is there any organization specifically that like when they just start drafting guys you might you might just be like kind of look at it sideways but then go oh but i trust what they do i think the the orioles are kind of the cute pick there for everybody with what they've done over the last couple years in drafting but are there any organizations that when you hear a name called you might be like oh that was kind of a reach but and then you look at the team doing it and you're like but there's no doubt they have a plan and they have a process that i trust yeah, those I think those organizations are kind of the more data-driven, um, next-gen type thinking organizations. The Orioles, I know, are one, but particularly the Astros and the Dodgers are the others, especially the Dodgers on the pitching side. Um, I'm always intrigued with any arm that the Dodgers take to try and dig a little deeper um, into seeing you know what they saw in him, kind of the upside play there. So I'd say mainly the Astros and the Dodgers, and then also the Rays. Yeah, those are those are the go tos, and I always like debriefing the draft and being like, which fourth or fifth round is going to be a Dodger in, in the big leagues and in a calendar year that we're not talking about right now? And and you always can can find some guys. I mean, the fact that they still have top one hundred prospects is just 
unbelievable because they've been competitive since at the at the latest 2012 when they've been all in on trying to win a world series so obviously you're lucky enough where you're sitting right now um you're overlooking a a beautiful field up in cape cod so you can't complain too much so i'd like to check in on on just obviously the happenings up there kind of what's been your main focus and coverage for baseball america has been the cape cod so you know what are kind of how's the summer been how's the baseball been i mean you live in, in baseball heaven this time of year so what what are your kind of thoughts there on on how the cape's gone yeah the summer's been outstanding like like any summer spent on the cape watching the cape league uh you can't find much better talent uh anywhere in the country um and you get them in these intimate environments in these small little ballparks so it's been really fun getting back out here after omaha covering the cape league for ba kind of just honed in on prior to omaha was honed in on these these 2023 draft guys and then afterwards focusing in on these high-end 2024 draft prospects, but the talent is immense. We've got guys like Travis Bazana, Cameron Smith, Jonathan Vastein, Derek Bender. They're all balling out. Hunter Hines has nine home runs already. If he hits, you know, one, when he gets his 10th home run, he'll be the first to do so since Bobby Dahlbeck did it in 2015. Um, Caleb Vita from Cal Berkeley is really having a great summer. And then Cole Mathis from Charleston. Um, he's a two-way talent to kind of keep your eye on next year. I think that he's got top five round upside, maybe top three, three to four round upside. So um, there's talent everywhere you look. Um, night in and night, and night in and night out, you're probably looking at eighteen to twenty future draft picks on each team, and um, it's it's really really been fun to watch. Yeah, you kind of stole my next question there, but I was going to ask you who are some players that have stood out to you and and maybe you can probably go in detail on maybe some of the guys that you listed on why they've stood out specifically and and what's kind of been most impressive. Like, you know, maybe you came in not really expecting that to be a name that you're walking away at the end of the summer with saying like, this is a guy we need to watch next year. Yeah. So for the pitching side, it's tough because there's so much turnover um, on all 10 of these teams between the, um, guys hitting innings limits, guys coming before the draft and leaving. So there hasn't really been much continuity on the pitching side, but someone who's been here and will stick for the whole summer that stood out to me is Cameron Hill. He's playing for Katua right now. He's got a .37 ERA, 34 Ks to nine walks and 24 innings. So he's he's been shoving. Um, Ryan Fisher on Bournes, another one transferring from NJIT down in North Carolina. 2-2 ERA, pounding the strike zone. He's done really well. And then on the hitting side of things, that coastal duo of Derek Bender and Caden Bodine are really showing out. Uh, mentioned Travis Bazana, who I think is the best player up here um, and who I would take first overall next year. He's been, I mean, he's just a joy to watch play baseball. I could go on for hours about him. And then J.J. Weatherholt is another West Virginia. Um, I'd put him second best behind Bazana, so... Uh, there is immense talent up and down the Cape. Yeah, I was I was thinking when you're when you're sitting there talking, I was I was kind of thinking about how how you balance the evaluation period of obviously the guys that end up at Team USA and then some come back, some shut it down like there's that whole balance. And and obviously you mentioned Weatherholt there who had a pretty good run with, with Team USA and now he's back up there. And, and that guy talk about a guy who just just finds barrels every time he hits. It's, it seems like it's it's automatic at times. So but obviously those are some super fun names and super fun names for our, for guys to 
keep out for, for next year and next spring specifically. But one of the things that kind of, we talked about this a little bit off air and it had been brought to my attention uh, by some people that are up there was that there's a lot of college coaches up there. Um, obviously you're getting your, your typical summer checks on, on your guys, but there's also a thing that we opened the show with called the transfer portal right now and, and being able to get evals on guys and, and kind of almost communicate with them. So what's kind of even your thoughts on, on what is now kind of seems like the wild, wild West in, in college athletics of the transfer portal and kind of this open period of, of coaches kind of almost delegating their resources and, and not ignoring the high school ranks. But, you know, when you have an opportunity to add an impact bat or impact arm, that's been in a college weight room for a couple of years, it's a hard opportunity to pass on and it doesn't get much better than, than Cape Cod in the summer. Yeah, no, I'll try and keep it quick. Cause my laptop's at like 2%, but uh, no, I, I think that um, obviously you'll get, as you mentioned, your normal summer check-ins on guys kind of coming up to see how your guys are playing, uh, making a tour up and down the Cape. I know coach Corbin with Vanderbilt was up here. Coach McDonald with Louisville was up here. Coach Johnson with LSU oftentimes comes up here. So they're just kind of checking in, the, checking in on their guys, seeing how they're playing. And then on the flip side with the portal, um, they're also scouting potential guys who are in the transfer portal now who could be good additions to their program, um, seeing who might enter the transfer portal, um, and then kind of recruiting again. We keep it all all roads lead back to the portal it seems but um yeah no i i think that it's a it's a very interesting time in college baseball because these college coaches are more using this as a scouting trip now as opposed to just a normal check-in yeah it's i mean it's crazy i i wouldn't have a hard time if i was an assistant at d1 being like hey hey skipper uh i think i gotta go go to the Cape Cod for a week and, and evaluate some transfer talent. Uh, I sh- I'm sure in 2014, that was a little bit of a harder sell and than it is now with the, with the open, open air of the transfer portal. So I'm sure coaches aren't, aren't complaining too much, but it came to my, uh, one of a, a good friend of mine is obviously interning up there and, and he brought it to my, he's like, dude, I talk to college coaches every night. He said, and from big programs, he's like, you just, it's, they're up here, they're up here in droves, they're up here, you know, and, and you get to talk to them because that's, that's kind of the new era of college baseball and it's good for some, it's bad for others. But obviously you mentioned the laptop, you got some stuff going on today. I'm down at the beach, so we're not going to keep our listeners from too much longer. Um, So obviously we appreciate you hopping on here, Peter, any closing thoughts before we get on here? I think we checked all the boxes I wanted to, you know, you have an open invitation here anytime or more than welcome to get you on and cram you in the schedule. But any closing thoughts for our listeners about any of the content that we talk talked about no just just thank you so much for having me on again honored to be the first two-time guest on the pod and again anytime you want to have me back on to be the first hopefully the first three-time guest i'm uh i will be more than willing to and my schedule will be a lot freer in the next couple of weeks yeah well again I know, I know we talk about it dan dan starts to get a little jealous because i can cram some some mid-morning recordings in that that he can't with work and i know he's been he's like itching to get back on here because I tell him all the time, I'm like, Peter's the best man. Like you'll love him. And he's like, I I guess I'm not destined to meet this guy. So we might have to get something and and we'll get in more in the weeds on a day with Dan and and get some of his questions and perspectives that he might want to ask here. But obviously we're, we're, more than appreciative of, of you taking the time to do that. But I know you got baseball to watch. I know you got sunny. It looks like sunny in 75, maybe a little bit warmer up there. Um, so you you go enjoy the rest of your day and, and we appreciate you coming on. 
thank you so much. I'm I'm fired up as always to be on, and and I hope you enjoy the sun down at the beach as well. Yeah. Oh, I will. It's hot. It's going to be 99 <laughs> degrees on Friday on the beach. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be cooking out there, get a nice base tan going on. <laughs> but, uh, obviously you're, you're Peter G Flaherty right on Twitter. Yep. Peter G Flaherty for any of our listeners. Obviously, if you want any Cape Cod content, draft content, college baseball content in the spring, there's nobody better across the business doing it, um, consistently and, and filling up your feed, uh, with that stuff. So make sure you're following Peter there and, and give him a shout and, and like some stuff from him because he's, he's obviously killing it on a day to day basis. And, and we appreciate him taking the time, uh, to hop on this episode with us. But thank you to our listeners for tuning in as that will conclude our episode for today. Make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on all podcast platforms, including Apple Pods, Spotify, and anywhere you find your podcast. We post episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Always hitting your feed at 7 a.m. sharp. I know this one's going to come out a little bit later in the day, but we're going to drop it a little later today so uh, you can enjoy it on your Wednesday. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at BacksideGB. Instagram at Backside Ground Balls and TikTok at Backside Ground Ball. Also, YouTube, we have full video form. We have short clips that coming out. So subscribe to the YouTube page. Most importantly, share with make sure you're sharing with five friends. And we'll see you next time on the Backside Ground Balls podcast. Guys, mental health is something that Dan and I are extremely passionate about, which is why it excites us to say that we are partnering with BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode and our podcast. BetterHelp is the world's leading therapy service and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then, you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professional and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash BacksideGroundBalls. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BacksideGroundBalls.